We are in the second week of this series called Starting Point. And Starting Point is a curriculum, it's a group curriculum that we actually take groups through once every couple years. Uh, it's about an eight or nine week curriculum. And, uh, and everybody who's gone through it in our church just loves it. It's such a great conversation about faith and kind of reestablishes some starting points for people and they're in their faith as adults. And uh, so this year, as we were kind of praying through the beginning of this year, uh, it just sort of hit us like, you know, we might still offer the, the group at some point, but we were like, let's just do it as a church. Let's, let's talk about some of the high points of, of starting point in this conversation of faith as an entire church and get the reminders we need sometimes of about where our starting point is and has been and should be in terms of our faith. Here's how we started last week. Everything has a starting point. Matter of fact, last week was January 1st. If you weren't here for our 11 o'clock service, uh, it was supposed to be the beginning of the year. And although I don't know about you, I don't know how your week went, uh, but my week did not feel like the beginning of anything, okay? Uh, I actually told my wife and a few of those on the staff, I was like, we were in like the fifth or sixth day, and I was like, you know what? I still feel like it's 2022. Like so much stuff was coming over that I needed to kind of tie up, and, and it was just like 2022 was just lingering. Did anybody else feel this way? Raise your hand if, if, if you're me. Okay, yeah, it's not just me. So I was like, I'm not ready for the year to begin. I know I'm six days late, but I'm gonna, it's going to start today. It's starting today, okay? So that's not, even, that's not even a New Year's resolution thing. That's just me not feeling like last week was new of anything. It wasn't a New Year, so today's my happy New Year, so happy New Year to you, all right? Um, but everything has a starting point, right? Relationships do, careers do, being a parent does, like all these things have a starting point. And last week, we kind of discussed the fact that our faith, our faith has a starting point. So for many people who are at our church, it was actually, you know, maybe when you were younger, and it was maybe a church you grew up in, it was... Uh, faith tradition in your family. It was a grandparent or an uncle or someone of influential in your life that poured into you and that you saw, you know, maybe as an adult, uh, it was a, a crisis uh, for you and a crisis moment happened that kind of turned you to faith. But somewhere in some way, shape and form, you sort of had a faith that began. And so if you're here anyway, uh, maybe this is your, your first time and your first uh, starting point. But either way, we kind of talked about last week that not intentionally, but a lot of times the things that we tend to get delivered to us, especially when we're children, and the things that we sort of grab a hold of in culture and society as starting points religiously and spiritually aren't always like the best foundation. Like they're not always the best thing to sort of put your, your, your faith and rest your faith on. Matter of fact, if you're a child, a lot of times it's, it's very childish and it doesn't stand up to the rigors and the pressures of adult, you know, challenges. And so your, your childish faith doesn't take you where you need to go. Don't hear that like childlike faith. Childish faith is really just not equipped for that. And so we talked a lot about this last week. You'll have to go back and listen to it. But we ended uh, talking about some of the things that we shouldn't have our foundation in, uh, you know, in terms of our faith. And we ended with this. We said, really, your starting point is the question, as, as Shin made a comment in his prayer today, uh, who is Jesus? Like this is, this is and should be where our starting points always start, is who is Jesus to you? Because the strength of our faith, the, 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 the stability of our faith is always going to be dictated by what it's tied to, what it's anchored to, right? And it needs to be anchored to Jesus Christ. That's like, that's, that is without a shadow of a doubt. And who is Jesus to you is going to be a, a determining factor in terms of the way in which you grow and the foundation of your life. Now today, I want to jump into a pretty deep 
topic, and, and maybe this is a reminder for many of you, but for a lot of us, it's again, it's one of those things we don't get to talk about that often. And so I'm going to kind of go a little bit basic today, but really dive in deep to this idea that there was, there was and always has been since the genesis of our story, uh, a problem, a problem that, that is so significant um, that we needed to deal with this problem. And it's a problem that has plagued all of humanity for a long time. And as you notice, if you got the scripture cards, they're in the, uh, well, in the front row, they're right there where you're sitting, but in your seat, they should be right in front of you. And what we decided to do as part of our, again, our commitment as a church, we want to give you more resources to help you dive into the word of God. And so that's a part of our New Year's resolution as well. And so now here's a lot of the references and extra references that you could take home. Uh, Whitney made them bookmarked, so you can actually put them in your notebook or put them in your Bible or whatever the case is and collect them. Um, this is for today. And then we highlighted the one we're going to read along. So last week I told you, I want you to bring your own copy of God's Word with you to church. You, if you need a free one, there's free ones in the, in the little breezeway. You can grab one as you come in. You can look on your phone. I have no preference on that. Uh, but I also, we highlight the one we're going to read along together. We're going to read and have you follow along in your copy versus putting it uh, on the screen. But as you can tell by this card, we're going to spend a lot of time today in the book of Romans, okay? It's a, uh, it, last week we were in the book of Acts, kind of like a travel journal for, um, for the, the Acts of the Apostles, and that was right after the Gospels in the New Testament. And then Rome, uh, Romans is the actual letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome, to the Roman Christians. And so today we're going to spend a lot of time, because Paul spends a lot of time to this letter in Church of Rome, talking about this problem and where the solution and how our faith plays into the solution of this problem that we all have. So let's go to Romans 5, where it says, and I'm going to bounce around a little bit, it says, when Adam sinned, again, talking about the genesis of our story, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, right? Adam's sin brought death. So death then spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now, this is explained a little bit better in, in chapter 3 uh, in terms of what does that mean in terms of when everybody sins. And he says, look, everyone has sinned. How does that look? Well, it means we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all fall short of holiness. We all fall short of righteousness. We all fall short of God's perfection. This is why everyone is considered a sinner. This is why every, it says everybody has sinned. And in chapter 1, he, he prefaced all of this by saying there actually is good news. There's good news. It tells us how God makes us right. Everybody heard the word righteousness before? Righteousness, right? Well, that's not just good deeds and things. Like It's, it's this idea of having a right standing. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's like, you know, there, there's this good news that that deals with the problem and gives us a right standing in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish. What's the two words there? By? Okay, we're going to try it again like everybody can read. All right, ready? All right, this is accomplished from start to finish. How? By faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And the kind of faith we're talking about today really is the full definition, if you will, or, or picture of faith that isn't just a belief, but it's a belief that, 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 that modifies itself and acts as if trust is involved, right? It's not just belief, but it's trust. You could use those words uh, kind of interchangeably. Belief and trust 
in terms of our faith and how this played itself out in the problem that we've been dealing with. And the problem is, I'm going to introduce you to the word, but you've already seen it. It's, a, it's, it's one of those things we don't use every day. We don't use this word hardly ever unless it's within a religious context, and that's the word sin. Like we don't, you know, nobody, no, nobody has a boss that's going to call you in tomorrow and be like, you know, let's talk about a few of your sins this week, right? Like that'd be creepy and weird, right? Even I'm a pastor and I don't do that with our, with our staff, right? Like, you know, you, you know you, a parent would never say that to the kid, you know, how dare you sin against me? I mean, we'd like to say it, but you know, uh, you know, we don't use that word. This word kind of remains a little bit just theological, and used kind of only in the context of spirituality and in terms of God or the gods. Again, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of different, used in pretty much any religion to talk about, again, religious standing. And the problem is, is that sin is so significant. Sin itself, that word, carries such a weight with it. It carries such a, a sense of judgment with it. It carries, it carries with it a sense of finality, right? If he's like, I'm a sinner, like, you know, it's sin. It's like, period. Like there is nothing, there's no wiggle room around the word sin. It's sin, right? And, 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 and we don't like, and listen, it's, it's, it's the thing that, again, judgment, we don't like judgment. And, and guilt, we don't like guilt. And condemnation, we don't want condemnation, right? Like we don't like that word in any way, shape, and form because it's like looking in the mirror and going, you know what? You're the problem, right? Like it's looking in the mirror and going, well, that's the problem right there, sin. So what culture we've done for years, mankind has done this for years, what culture has done is substituted this word for, for another word, and it's a terrible word, okay? It does, not, it does not measure up at all to this word, but we've substituted it for the word mistake, right? We're all, like, we've all made mistakes, guys, right? Nobody's perfect, right? Nobody's perfect. We've all made mistakes, but how many of you guys have ever watched like a politician or a celebrity or just somebody famous, you know, get into trouble and, you know, they got to get up on a, behind a mic stand or Twitter, you know, they, they tweet out that, hey, you know what, I admit I've made some mistakes, right? And the whole time you're watching it, you're on the outside looking in and you're like, dude, like you burned your family down. Like your, your whole career is gone. Your, 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 your character is shot. That's, that's not a mistake. That's more than a mistake, right? Mistake is what you make on a math test, right? A mistake is spelling a word wrong. A, a mistake is that, uh, you know, you miscalculated something with your calculator when you were going to the bank to deposit something. That's a mistake. Like, that's not a mistake. I don't know what you think that is, but yet we use the same word interchangeably. Oh, I've made some mistakes. Nobody's perfect. We've all made some mistakes. And logically, it doesn't make sense. And so here's where we're going to just kind of talk a little bit about it, just for a few minutes. It doesn't make sense because sometimes we actually make mistakes on purpose, right? Like sometimes we actually, we had two choices and we chose the thing we wanted to choose and it was on purpose. It was intentional. So that's, how is that a mistake? That doesn't make any sense. It's like we made this mistake on purpose. Sometimes we plan our mistakes, right? We shifted our schedule to make that mistake happen right? We had to lie to somebody about that mistake. We had to cover our tracks for that mistake. We had to buy a ticket, you know, to, 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 to engage in that mistake. Like, is there such a thing as a premeditated mistake? You ever, ever heard of that? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And sometimes, think about the people who make, the, you know, the, we make the same mistake over and over and over and over again, 
And, and just think about the people in your life that make the same mistake over and over and over and over again. I mean, do you really view that as a mistake? Do you really see that as a mistake? And here's the bigger problem. Again, mistakes, because a mistake just doesn't cut it, because you can correct a mistake. You can correct a mistake. And the problem is you can't correct you. Again, going back to the bigger problem at hand, you can't correct you. You've tried correcting you every year with New Year's resolutions. You try to correct you, doesn't work, right? Your spouse tries to correct you, doesn't work, right? Your wife tries to correct you. Your husband, your kids have tried to, you know, your, your parents have tried to correct kids, doesn't work. You might be adult people now and you're, you're trying to correct your parents' behavior, doesn't work, right? Some people who pay $100 to $150 an hour to someone, to try to help correct you, and it doesn't work. So here's the point. Maybe we are more than just mistakers. Maybe. Maybe there is a bigger problem that we have to deal with, and, it, and it's not something, even when you've been at church for years, you can just glaze past. That's not the kind of problem sin actually is. And see, when Jesus came along, Jesus kept talking about sin. Nobody, listen, the people in Jesus' day weren't any different than us. They didn't want to talk about sin. Oh, Jesus, we don't want to talk about sin. Like, it feels so heavy, and it's so condemning, and it's so judgy, and, you know, they didn't want to talk about it either. And yet Jesus is like, look, guys, we got to talk about it. we got to talk about it. Like, there's no way to do this. Like, think about the Sermon on the Mount. Like, he, he, every time he talked about a sin, he sort of raised the standard. He sort of jacked everything up. It wasn't like he dumbed it down. He was like, you know how you're not supposed to murder? Yeah, we know we're not supposed to murder anybody. Well, I, I, I'm telling you that if you have a bad thought in your head, you're already guilty of, guilty of murdering somebody. And everybody was like, what? You called someone an idiot, you're guilty of murder. And you're like, what? And Jesus always jacked it up. But here, here's the point. Anytime Jesus talked about sin, he always, the purpose in him talking about it was for restoration, not condemnation, all right? Because Jesus knew what we needed to know is that sin is a problem, and it's the problem that broke our relationship with God. It's what caused the distance between us and God, and you can't have any restoration. You can't have any forgiveness. You can't have any kind of, you know, reconciliation, without acknowledging sin. Here's the way Jesus described it. This is at Simon's house, a Pharisee, and the teachers of the religious law uh, saw Pharisees coming, and he was eating with tax collectors and sinners, and, and he asked the disciples, who does, you know, why does he eat with the, these scum? Like, this is their perception of sinners. Like, why does he hang out with these sinners, these tax collectors, these sinners? Like, what, what's going on? And Jesus responds, I think this is in Matthew South Act, actually. He says, he heard, he told him, look, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And Jesus made it as clear as you could be. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. Jesus said, I have not come for those who think that they are just mistakers. I came, but for those who know they are sinners. Because Jesus knew that without the acknowledgement of sin, without understanding the bigger problem, we can't experience reconciliation. We can't experience restoration with God. Why? Because who really needs forgiveness from a mistake? 
right? I mean, you, you can make a mistake and be like, oh, sorry, you know, sorry, my bad. That's what I usually say, my bad. I said it like three times a day. Who need, but, but you don't feel the weight of it. You don't need to be forgiven if it's really a mistake. And here's what Jesus did, the forgiveness. Forgiveness is needed to restore relationships. And ever since the genesis of our story, God has been in the business of trying to restore what was broken, restore those relationships back to him, to restore and, and solve the problem that sin caused when it entered the world. So I'm going to have you guys follow along in your Bible. This is the, the Genesis 12 um, passage in your Bible, and your copy of God's Word. Genesis is the first book of the Old Testament right there in the front. Uh, chapter 12 is where we're going to start. We're just going to read a few, few, few verses together. I'm going to put the rest on the screen, but these few verses take us to one of the times in which Jesus, which God is, his starting point was with a man. His starting point starts with a man named Abram. Let's read together. This is, uh, again, this is Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord has said to Abram, leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land which I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, make your name great, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. God starts with a guy named Abram, who's just a normal guy, he's not, he's not uh, you know, perfect, he's not super religious, even, even in that world, he's just a normal guy. And, and you know, he screws up, he's, you know, his life was a little bit of a mess, and it continued to be a mess in his sin, continually, even after God called him. But this is the point in which Jesus, God comes and says, look, I wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you somewhere, I'm going to start with you. This is God, one of God's starting points, I'm going to start with you. And we're going to send, I'm going to make a people out of you. Matter of fact, here's three promises I want you just to, to see. And these, all three promises were fulfilled that he, that he gave to Abram. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless that. I'm going to bless that nation. Bless you. And so not only did he bless Abram, but, but he did make a great nation. And the Arabs of, of the world actually looked back at Abraham and said, that's right, it's us. Through Ishmael, like that's, that's us. We, we are that great nation. And the, and the Jewish people would look back at, at Isaac and say, no, that's, that's us. We, we are that great nation. But no matter how you split it, he did bless him. And through Abraham came great nation. He said, I'm going to make your name great. I mean, listen, before you even came to Christ, before you ever went to a church, like you probably knew someone in your life named Abraham. Like, you know, that name has been here for 4,000 years. No other name has, has, I mean, you read some of the Bible, no other name has made it as quite as long as Abraham, right? Why? Because he made his name great. He made his name famous. Like people not even in church sometimes even know the Abraham story. And again, nation upon nation upon nation know who Abraham is. The three largest religions of the world all claim him as their father, forefather, and their foundational father of their faith. And the last one says, all peoples, all nations will be blessed through you. 
that because of what the work that God's going to do through you and through the descendants and your legacy, then the world, the peoples, all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed through you. And again, just look at the top three, the three largest religious groups in the world would all say that's true. The Jewish people would say that's us. And the world has been blessed because of because what God did through Abraham and through his descendants, the Jewish people, not, not only just Jesus Christ, but, but just our work in the world and our influence. And there are Muslims that would say the same thing. They'd say, no, no, it's us. You know, through, through Abraham and Ishmael and, 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 and our faith and Muhammad and all of the things that they point back to Abraham as that, as that head, they would say, no, it's because of us, it's because of our influence, it's because of our work that the nations of the world are blessed and held in line. And the Christians would say, no, it's us, right? It's us. Nobody sent more missionaries in the world than, than Christians, right? Like, like, like we are the ones, it's the work. Yes, we're, we're Father Abraham had many sons, and we, we are the ones that he, that promise is being fulfilled through. But guys, I'm just telling you, like, all three of these things that he promised Abram happened. All three of these things that he promised Abram happened. Now, Abram continues to believe in God's promise, but he's, he's a man. He's a man just like you and me, and he, and he was, I mean, he was a really old man, and, and his wife was barren, and so God had already begun to bless him, and again, I told you, he, he wasn't perfect. He screwed up all the time. He, he gave his wife away to a couple leaders because he was trying to save his own hide, and, you know, he took matters into his own hands, you know. There's a whole bunch of sin in Abraham's life. Like, it's, it is there. But, but he's walking along, and God kind of brings him a vision again, just reminding him, like, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do what I said I'm going to do. And there's a really neat, I'm going to take you to Genesis 15. There's a really neat interchange that Moses records for us, right? This would have been passed down through oral history, and Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would have given this to his people in the Torah so that they could see and understand this amazing foundation of how God wanted to make himself right with us by faith. So here's uh, Abram. This is him. He's kind of, gets out the story, he's kind of moping a little bit because he doesn't have any kids yet. And he, he's already been blessed by God quite a bit. So he's kind of already saying to God, like, look, God, I know you keep saying all this stuff, but, you know, if I died right now, like Eleazar, my chief servant's going to get all my stuff. Like, I'm, I don't know. It's going to be his nation, I guess. I, I don't know. And God sort of reminds him again. He says, he says, Lord said to him, no, 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 your servant's not going to be your heir. You will have a son of your own who's going to be your heir. And he goes on to say, again, just to help him see it, the Lord took Abraham out, to the, to, out there and said, I want you to look up into the sky. Okay, this is, this is, this is amazing. Look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. All right, now that's, I mean, again, you're, talk, you're talking about pre-city, pre-smog, everything else, right? Like, it's not like Charlotte where you can see 17 stars. Like, it's, it's I mean, he basically says, count the stars, and, and, and Abram would have looked up and just been like, uh, impossible. And God's pur purpose is to say, look, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Like, what's impossible in your mind, I'm going to make. And then here's this incredible verse that sometimes we just skip past. But Paul is the one who reminds us of this in Romans. He says, 
that right in that moment, Abraham believed God. He believed the Lord. Right in that moment, Abraham believed that God is who he said he was, that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. And the Lord counted him as righteous. Some of the other translations say credited him. He like gave him the credit, reconciled to him, right standing with God. Because of his, what's the word? Because of his faith. Just because in that moment, Abraham, I mean, he, there's nothing written for him to know things about God. There's no word of God yet. He doesn't have a way to study about God and know things about God. It's not, it's not believing about God. It was the fact that God, to Abraham, said, I want you to picture this, and I want you to trust me. And in that moment, Abraham said, I trust you. I trust you. Again, he's an old man. Science wasn't on his side. His wife is barren. Biology's not on his side. Right? He has no reason that we oftentimes fight to find to trust God at his word. And yet in this moment, he says, yes. God, I, I trust you. And in that moment, Moses reveals for us and records for us how it was supposed to work. That he was given... He was credited righteousness. He was given right standing with God because of his faith. Not belief from the standpoint of just believing about him, but trusting him. And from that point on, listen, from, from this point forward, we're talking about 4,000 years. The three religions of the world have continued, that all point to Father Abraham as their founding father, all argue about how we are made right with God. They all argue it. The Jewish people say, well, it has to do with being a Jew. You got you to be born a Jew. And if you're not born a Jew, there's, there's a cool way to convert. And I don't know how they figured that out, but they were like, yeah, we got some ways to, you, you can do some things and you can, we can graft you in, you know, to the Jewish faith. But, but it's, it's, it's all about who, you're, who you belong to. It's all about birth. I mean, think about when the Pharisee, the Jewish people and the leaders, when Jesus came on the scene and Jesus is offering them a Messiah, they said, look, we don't need you. We are Abraham's kids. That's all we need. That's enough. And about 600 years plus after Christ is on the scene, you know, the prophet Muhammad comes to, to his people and says, no, it's, it's, it, this is the way it works with Allah and and it's all going to be about your works. It's all going to be about behavior. So you've got to put your faith and trust in me and Muhammad and in, our, in my prophets. And you've got, to, you've got to put your faith there, but you've got to do the works. Your, your good deeds are going to be weighed against your bad deeds and some formula that you can't figure out. And Allah will determine at the end if you're made right with him. And then Christianity, listen, about 30 minutes after Jesus went to heaven, okay, Started arguing about it too. That's what the whole New Testament's all about. Well, you got to believe it, but you also got to be circumcised. 
right? It's belief plus. It's belief plus works. Think about the Catholic Church for hundreds of years. It's a belief about all, how many prayers did you do? How many rose, you know, uh, rosary prayers did you do? How many of this did you do? How many confessions have you had? Think about modern re- reformation to the domination times. Like it's works. It's plus, you know, your spiritual expression of your spiritual gifts. It's belief plus, you know, your, your right doctrine and your right theology and your right denomination. Like we have constantly messed this up. The three largest religions of the world that all claim Abraham as our founding father have simply missed it. So what if, what if the starting point in our relationship with God is as simple as it was for Abraham? What if it's trust? Not believing about him, knowing about him, but you, you trust him. You're trusting in him to provide the solution to the problem that you can't solve, which is sin. Here's how, again, this is how Paul reminds the church, the, the, the Christians in Rome, about this by using Abraham's story. Okay, so we're going to go to Romans 4. It says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation, what did he discover about being made right with God? This is Paul asking a rhetorical question. What did, what did Abraham figure out? He keeps going. He says, if good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. It's not behavior. It's not even birth. He goes on to say, the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith, because of his trust, because of his belief in God. (laughs) He goes, when people work, their wages are not a gift. They're something that they've earned. And he goes on to say, people are counted as righteous, right, standing with God, not because of their work, but because of their, what's the word? Faith in God who forgives sinners, because that's what we need. We need a God who can forgive the problem. We need a God who can reconcile the problem. We need a God who can restore the relationship. We need a solution to that. And he says, this is, what ha- this is where it matters. We don't, it's not because of our works. It's not because of our righteousness. It's not because of what we think we can earn. He says, it's because of our faith in God who forgives us. It says, clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants wasn't based, right? It was based not on his obedience to God's law. Why did, why did Paul have to say this? Because these guys weren't thinking, okay? They weren't thinking. They were, they were stuck, okay? Abram is 600 plus years before the law is ever given, right? Like before, do not murder, you know, do not lie, do not, you know, obey the Sabbath. Before any of those words were chiseled in stone, Abram was made right with God. Everybody with me? So here's Paul reminding them, it is not about should they read the law. It is not about whether you follow the law. He says, he said, uh, it was not whether his obedience to God's law, but on the right relationship with God, that he trusted him. And that comes by faith. Then he says, if God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then his faith, hey, faith isn't necessary. And the promise is pointless. Don't you like words like that? 
If, if, if it's not about you trusting God, then what's the promise worth? Nothing. What's your faith worth? Nothing. You don't have to trust or believe in anything. You can kind of do whatever you want. And I apologize again if I'm getting a little too historical for you today, but I do need to, I do want to walk you through something that I just found astonishing. Because in Genesis 15, where he makes this promise to Abraham and he tells him again, I'm going to, you know, look at the stars. And Abraham says, yes, God, I trust you. They continued their conversation. And God invited Abraham into an agreement. And it's called, in biblical terms, it's called a covenant. Okay? And there are several covenants that are very important in Scripture. But this is the covenant that God makes with Abraham about how he's going to solve the problem, the problem of sin. And beginning with Abraham, he's going to solve it. Now, it began before that in other covenants, but this is the one that got personal in terms of his people. And, 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 and this is going to be a little gross. I tried not to gross anybody out too, too much today. I got a pencil drawing so you guys can see what I'm talking about here. This is the Abrahamic covenant. If I gave you the real drawing, you guys would not eat lunch today, okay? I'm just, I'm just letting you know. Like, it's, it's a little, it's a bloody affair. And, I, and if you're an animal lover, I apologize for the next minute. But what was happening is that this would have been something that Abraham was pretty familiar with. It was a binding contract. It was much more heavy than a pinky promise. You guys with me, all right? Much more intense than a pinky promise. And he sacrificed several animals from as small as birds, doves, to as large as oxen, and he cut them in half, okay? Now, as, as, as hard as that sounds, just most scholars believe he cut them in half long ways, okay? And then split the bodies. <laughs> yeah, it was gross. Split the bodies. Matter of fact, it said, uh, it said that Abraham had to chase the vultures away. You ever watch vultures eat something? Gross. Okay, that's what this looked like. This was the contract. This was the covenant. This binding agreement that Abraham was going to was invited into enter into with God. And let me just tell you the, the basic gist of this. They would walk through the middle of these dead, you know, bloody carcasses, and it was basically the kind of the contract that basically said, okay, if you don't live up to your end of the deal and I don't live up to my end of the deal, whoever doesn't live up to their end of the deal, may we be like this. Everybody with me? May this happen to us. And so Abraham falls asleep. And when he falls asleep, God gives him a vision, and he goes into great detail about, you know, the, the prominence and the slavery and the, what's going to happen in terms of his legacy that Abraham won't live to see. But then when Abraham wakes up, he sees the chamber pot, the fire, the fire pot blowing smoke, and the torch walking through the middle of the carcasses on its own. And the significance of this covenant was the fact that God knew that Abraham could not fulfill his end of the bargain. Couldn't do it. There's no power in Abraham to be able to do that. So God had to seal the covenant himself. Everybody with me? He had to seal the covenant himself. You couldn't do it. Abraham couldn't do it. And he said, I'm going to have to do it. So God made the promises, and then God sealed and bound the promises to himself. And I couldn't help but think, 
of his last covenant, which Jesus called the new covenant, where once again, God had to do what we could not do for a final time to solve the problem that we cannot solve, we cannot correct, self-correct, to make a way to restore our relationship back to him, to deal with sin, to call it out and deal with sin and restore our relationship back to him. God had to do it himself. He had to send his son. And it, guess, it was another bloody affair, guys. It reminds us of when he told us, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no restoration. There is no remission of sin. And I, I thought about the, the, the words of Eugene Peterson, just his description and summary of this moment in terms of what God was doing for us. I'm going to read that very quickly for you, and then we're going to look at the one last passage. Eugene Peterson wrote, it says, With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is resolved. What fateful dilemma? The problem was sin. He didn't deal with that problem as something remote or unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. I love this because it says the law always ended up being used as a band-aid. A beautiful description. It's a temporary solution. The law was a temporary covenant to, as a band-aid instead of a deep healing of sin. And now what the law asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished. How? Well, it's accomplished as we instead of redoubling our own efforts that we simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. And his reference to that is what Christ did for us. The Spirit is doing in us because of what Christ did for us. So the question I, I want to just wrestle with today or leave you with is, do you trust Jesus? And I don't mean, do you know about Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? Very much like Shin said today, like even he's, he's king and Lord. I mean, there's just lots of ways in which we, we give him praise. But I, I need to know whether you actually trust him. You trust him to solve the problem that you cannot solve. You trust his solution to sin for you and your life. Not for eternity, not just so you get to go to heaven one day, but so that you can, even though you are a sinner, even though you are filled with sin, he can restore the relationship with God. Do you trust him to do that? Here's the way Paul says it. Again, a summary in Romans 5. He says, the sin of one man, Adam, right, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. Because Paul wants them to understand this contrast of, of, of Adam's sin and what it did and what Jesus came to do. It says, uh, the result of God's gracious gift is so different than the one of man's sin. For Adam's sin lend to condemnation. 
right? It, it leads to guilt. It leads to shame. It leads to death. But Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Even though we are guilty. His solution, his, his the thing we are called to trust in him for, delivers this grace and forgiveness to us. That's where it's supposed to start, for us. That's what our faith has to be rooted and anchored in. Has to. And here's the deal. I mean, the last thing I want for you is another year, okay? Another 2023, just like 2021 or 2019 or whenever the last time you did it, the last thing I want for anyone at Journey, anyone who's hearing the sound of my voice is for you to be thinking about another year and be thinking about how to do this right and be thinking about redoubling your own efforts to solve the problem that you can't solve. I don't want you to spend a, a moment of energy in that. But to begin to trust him. Do you know the practice of confessing sin and repentance was not because Jesus doles out forgiveness on like a, like a little slip of paper business? Remember what I'm talking about? Like, like a little redemption, you know, uh, what's that called when you, when you park? What's that called? Validating? Is that what it's called? Yeah. That's, that's not how Jesus does forgiveness. Jesus gives you forgiveness for everything. The purpose of confession and repentance of sin was so that we could continually remind ourselves that we are sinners, that we are guilty, and that we need Jesus. We don't need to know about Jesus. We don't need to be filled with knowledge about Jesus' things. We have to trust Jesus. Why? Because I'm just telling you, I'm I'm 47, this year I'll be 48, and I just know like the older I get, the more I realize just what a dumpster fire of sin that I really am. You guys with me? Like, I don't, maybe you guys are all too young, but I'm a mess, right? Like that's, the older I get, the more clearly, and the closer I walk with God, the more clearly I see it. And oh, how much more clearly I beg And I'm so thankful for the grace and forgiveness of God. Jesus told, I think it was this is Simon's house, where he told the Pharisee, look, those who are forgiven of much love much. But if those are just, if you're just a mistaker, man, there's not much hope for you. Except Jesus. That's for me, guys, the, the heart that I have as a pastor of this church is to move us all into the place where we stop trying to figure out how to do it right and it's all about our effort, but we acknowledge our sin while we simultaneously acknowledge that he solved the dilemma for you and for me. And we are trusting him because we can't do it. And over the next couple weeks, we'll be talking more about just that picture of grace and what it really looks like as we live out our faith. Let's pray together.
Father God, I'm so thankful today, as, as I just think of Eugene Peterson's words, that you, 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 didn't, you didn't view this problem as, a, as not that big an issue, but you entered, you humbled yourself and became a man. You entered the disordered mess of humanity and, and you solved it once and for all. God, a deep healing that we needed. And so, God, I'm so thankful for that today. And I know that at some point there may be someone listening to my voice that's here today or later on that has never taken that step of faith with you. They have never put their trust in you. They know about you. They've been around you. They've been around your people. But they've never taken that step. They've never confessed and acknowledged their sin and trusted in your solution. So God, I'm just going to say today, if you're in the room or hearing this later, that you pray the words with me, that you, you acknowledge that you, that is a problem. You're not just a mistaker. And that you understand Jesus as being the son of God had to pay the price, had to die for that sin. But he rose to life to help me be victorious and restore that relationship with God. And all you have to do is confess that with your mouth. Really, it means your heart, to confess it with your heart and to put your faith and trust in him alone. And God, we invite your Holy Spirit to change these lives. We're so thankful, Jesus, that you made it so simple. It's, it's us who make it complicated that our relationship starts when we trust you. May we trust you more. In your name, Jesus. Amen.